Hello, and welcome to Marvellous Effort That, the all-inclusive podcast for the sporting all-rounder. Each week, we delve into the worlds of football, rugby and cricket, discussing the latest news and views whilst deciding on the greatest matches in sport's big three. I'm Omka Kot, and I'm joined by friend, badger and all-round local hero, Seb Probert Broster. This is Marvellous Effort That, and we'll be with you in just a few moments. Well, episode one. Here we are, Seb. Welcome. Cheers. And a, and a proper cheers as well across the screen. Well done. Absolutely. Well, here we are, the marvellous effort that. Episode one. What's on the, uh, what's on the drink agenda tonight, Seb? Oh, it's classic. Um, it's part of Guinness, isn't it? Always. Always. Uh, unless it's cricket week, obviously, in which case it's um, probably a nice Rioja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a bad one for the winter. And what's the, uh, what's the weather report? I mean, last time we spoke, we actually had a bit of snow when we did our pilot episode. Well, uh, disappointingly, it didn't stick, did it? Um, let's hope the podcast does better. Um <laughs> It's not raining, I don't think. It's pretty dark out there. That's that's all I can offer. Um, we did speak earlier in the day previously, but I think it's just cold. But can't yeah, it is the first of Feb. I mean, it, it does tend to get dark in the evenings, but you know you can't have it all. Correct. But uh, very good. <laughs> well, I'm actually on the uh, on the American IPA, paying homage to our. Transatlantic cousins, and I tell you what, I've hit the jackpot elsewhere. Um, my local supermarket are selling those jalapeno pretzels that you only seem to get in the pub. Oh, I'm not sure if we're allowed to use brands on this particular podcast yet, but um, I'll, I'll, they should remain unnamed for now. Oh, um, but I can tell you they've got a green packet if that helps. Well, so they are, yeah, I do know the ones, they are, they're very good. <laughs> and just to let you know that there are other drinks, alcoholic beverages available other than Guinness, but. If you choose a different one, you're wrong. That's that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> Very good. Well, now that formalities are over, um, I think the question that, you know, I would say, but let's say a couple of people are really dying to know, Seb. <laughs> Marvellous at that. You know, what is it all about and why are we here? Well, basically, we're a couple of mates who like to chew the cud about sport, big three. Um, you like to let me know what real people think about sport. And I like to let you know what the um, gossip column of BBC Sport tells you about it. Um, and that's it's kind of how we've, we've met together, isn't it? We've talked about it for a while. Um, we, we talk at length about sport every time we meet up. And it's just a bit of fun, just, just something where we can have a beer, sit down, have a chat, talk about some games we like, um, share, some, share some opinions, some popular, some not. <laughs> just go from there. Absolutely. And within the big three, as you mentioned, you know, there are lots of things out there, I think, that cover one sport. But I think hopefully we can bring you a bit of a fan's perspective and a bit of cheer uh, and a bit of quirk in amongst the coronavirus period and when sports really had its most unusual 12 months, certainly in you know the last 50, 60 years. Um, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, so definitely. We've, we've all got. Sorry to cut over there. We've, we've got our teams that we support, but hopefully as fans, we'll give you more of a sports fans perspective rather than the partisan stuff that you tend to hear on on, on other 
fan sites and podcasts. So hopefully we're, that's where we'll differ. <laughs> well, let's see if we can differ with the news so far. And, and the partisan part is an interesting one because I'd like to kick off the latest news section with with the football. And <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose yeah. there's there's no need to mention things such as Messi's five hundred million pound contract leak and Salah's wonder goal for Liverpool. I think let's kick off with with the big footballing story of the week. Brighton and Hove Albion won. Tottenham Hotspur nil. Talk us through that one, Seth. Fully deserved. They they played really well, and you know. I th- well, Potter wasn't wrong, was he? It's, it's probably the best best performance of, of um, certainly his tenure. Um, and yeah, good on. As as you know, Brighton also my other team, so it doesn't hurt as much when you lose to Brighton. Um, it's it's a bit, bit annoying. It's one of those games where you expect to get a point when when you've got that much more money and that much more established playing power. Um, but you can only play the team in front of you, can't you? And that's what Brighton did. They they really got in amongst it. They played really well. They really deserved it. And if it wasn't for a couple of really heroic bits of defending, um, Alderweireld pretty much on the line blocking that should have been 2-0. I mean, um, it was Connolly, wasn't it? He'd be kicking himself. Should, should have buried that, really. Easily should um, 2-0. Should, should have been, definitely. Um, and that was just the easy opportunity. Um, <laughs> but, no, no. I, look, for me... I obviously want Spurs to win every week, but if it's if they're going to lose to anyone, Brighton, my hometown, I'm I'm cool with that. Well, very good. Well, and look. also, also, it's it's given Brighton an opportunity just to sneak a few points away from the relegation zone, which is which is great news. We'll see you in time. And to anyone that's clearly thinking that this is just going to be me rambling on about the Albion for an hour, um, fear not. Other other teams. That's, that's just my voicemail. Will sometimes be available. <laughs> Um, but an amazing goal. If anyone's not seen the goal from Salah last night, I mean, I said to a few guys, including my housemate, there are there are less than there are probably less than ten people on the planet who can finish like that. And that's proper Ronaldinho Messi stuff. Um, you know, thousands of people can bang one into the top corner. Um, well, um, if you if you want a bit of um, something something you can laugh at, because obviously Liverpool were um, the the previous most recent visitors to Doctor Tottenham, so they could regain some form. Um, <laughs> I saw uh, I saw on Twitter uh, this morning that um, Mido, who's he obviously was a striker at Spurs. I believe, didn't he play somewhere else in the Premier League? Didn't he, didn't he go Swansea, to Fulham? That was Swansea. No, you're right. Yeah, Swansea. Um, Mido tweeted all those years back. Said um, get get Salah from Basel. He's cheaper and better than Lamella. <laughs> Look how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, famous last words. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, hell, hell of a goal, wasn't it? Absolutely. Well, moving on, we mentioned that this is a three-sport podcast and we shall deliver on our promise to the people. Um, <laughs> just a quick one. not been a huge amount. We'll touch upon England series in India towards the end of the show. Um, but the big news for me anyway was the fact that um, Pakistan have, have played one of the major nations, certainly. Um, they've just beaten South Africa in the first test, I think, in, in Pakistan since 2007, between the two sides. And um, the match took place in Karachi, I think, Huge news, you know, great to have Test cricket back in Pakistan. It's great for the game uh, overall. It's really important that, you know, such an iconic and well-historied nation um, are playing back at home again. And it's safe, you know, or hopefully safe for more teams in the yeah. future to come as well. Um, did you Definitely. manage to catch any of that one? 
Yeah, I caught some bits and bobs. You know me, um, I like to follow everything via text if I can't watch it. Um, and as we're all stuck in front of computers. Um, debutant, Nauman getting five for great. And, you know, in his, in his mid-30s, I think, as well, or certainly edging close to that. What, mm. what a moment in your life to step up and, and, and get into it. Um, and that's, yeah. what we like, that's what we like to see. We, we like to see new players coming in, regardless of their age and, and delivering. Um, and that's no mean feat against South Africa as well. They're, they're, a, they're a really, really good side. Um, but yeah, I, I think I just to reiterate what you said. I think it's it's amazing to see cricket back there and and it being safe enough for for them to host mm. nations again. It's really it's been really sad that we've not been able to play at some of the really famous grounds and and really historic grounds they've got there. Um, so good on them. Let's let's hope we see um, England there soon. Very much so. Very much so. And sticking with South Africa, um, which brings us nicely into the the rugby section of the latest news. Um, I read yesterday that Rugby Australia have offered to host the British and Irish Lions series against South Africa. Um, yeah, they have. Yeah. Um, what It's a great alternative, isn't it? I think the thing you've got to look at here is that if you don't play the Lions tour this year, it's not going to happen. It'll be cancelled. Um, they can't shoehorn it in next year that, that close to, to World Cup. Um, it, the logistics of cancelling a tour or um, trying to rearrange it a following year when it's not already in the calendar it's a nightmare even with this kind of um oh what's what's the word even even with the amount of time they have to prepare for it um so we'll see what happens i i personally can't i can't see it going ahead um in australia but i'm happy to wrong i think that the way it'll be um and world will be a little bit safer one thing's for sure um i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna stick my neck out and you'll get used to it um i i don't think that we should host it here in the uk um there, there have been instances where special matches have been played um non cats i might add um for things such as the queen's jubilee um i think it was the 125th anniversary of of um the Lions, that wasn't actually, that was in Hong Kong, but it wasn't in the UK. But there, there have been matches. They played against the Barbarians um, in the uh, in the JPR era. I just I, I just don't see it. It's, it's obviously one of the traditions they don't play at home. They're a wandering side. They, they go away and tour. Um, and I think let's let's hope they can just, they can get to South Africa and just get it, get it going as, as it should be. Yeah, I think it means so much to fans, you know, in both countries and across you know, Britain and Ireland and for the rugby community, it's important that I think, you know, personally, from my perspective, I prefer it happened in, in South Africa. Otherwise, mm. I'd like to see it delayed, you know, for another year. I know that might not be a very popular opinion, but I think it's it's only right that they play, you know, in those iconic rugby stadia they have in, in South Africa, particularly, you know, not just for the test matches, but for the for the warm-up games and for the tour matches too. But um, Yeah, sure. But we'll certainly have more to come um, as we build up to that series. And anything else in the world of rugby as our... As our We've got a lot to choose from, obviously, but as a resident <laughs> expert, is there anything else to, to tick off on the agenda? Um, a couple of couple of interesting um, results over, over the weekend. Um, you know, the West Country Derby, Bristol Bath. That was a um, huge win for Bristol. Um, I did I did have a little bit of a chuckle. So, um, I, if you remember the the original Galacticos of um, Toulon when they were winning everything, um, yeah. and everyone used to kind of laugh at it because. 
essentially their game plan was give the ball to Gitto and see, see what he does with it. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you've seen Semi Rodrigo's try, but it, I'm not saying that's how Bristol play, but you just saw that one-off clip and he just receives the ball first phase and just cuts through the whole team. And you just kind of think, yeah, that's probably going to be our game plan for the rest of the day then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, huge win for, um, for Quinns. Um, over wasps away as well, which is must have been, you know, pretty pretty nice for them. Good feeling going away to a club like wasps who are playing well. You know, they've been there thereabouts, knocking at the top of the league, and they've absolutely pumped them by like thirty points um, away from home, which is which is great for them. Um, well, local you lads playing for them like, too. So it seems to be that to play away at wasps, you know, you've got to travel to what is it, the Arctic Circle these days? <laughs> yeah, well. Very good. Well, that's really good, Seb. Um, great to have the latest roundup. I'm sure everyone at home is scintillated by the excitement we've had since uh, in the last few days of sport. And I think that leads us nicely into what we're really all about. But um, a marvellous effort that we mentioned we'd be looking through some of the greatest games in sports history. And um, over the next few weeks, we'll be taking a look at um, some of the most historic moments, matches, players and stories from the worlds of football, rugby and cricket. And I think it's safe to say we're going to start with an absolute belter. Oh, that's yeah! England move into the lead of one. It's precarious. It's a jam shot going to third man from James Anderson. What a noise around this ground. Everybody stood up. So those, of course, were the words of David Lloyd and the match can be none other than the first Ashes test between England and Australia at the newly built Swalek Stadium in Cardiff in 2009. England off the back of a final loss in the last Ashes series in Australia with a new captain in Andrew Strauss, a new coach in Andy Flower set up on a new era to hopefully regain what is rightfully ours. I think you will agree. Australia had a new look side as well with the likes of Hayden, Langer, Martin, Gilchrist, Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath all retiring, how were they going to fare against England's up-and-coming new-look side themselves? And what looked to turning wicket with Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, Andrew Flintoff and two spinners picked in Swan and Panasar, England sets about in the first test to be held in Wales and the first match of the series. And Seb, I think it's fair to say it was quite some game. Uh, unbelievable. Um, do you know what? Just what you want for the first game in Wales for the, uh, the England-Wales cricket board. Um, you want to go to a new stadium, first time it's ever been played in, played, a test match been played in Wales. You want it to be a spectacle. And you think England bat first and score over 400. You think, yeah, OK, we're going to have a good match here. Um, what came after that was just something else. I mean... Those of you with a keen eye will have realised where we got the name of the podcast from, which is um, the Tough Man. <laughs> it's a famous one-day match where every batsman gets a ton, and that's pretty much what happened, wasn't it? Four tons from their from their uh, scorecard. Um, yeah, just an amazing display from from Australia with with a bat. Um, you know, don't forget when you've fielded for a day and a half, it's it's you know, it's, it's quite tiring. 
you then learn to bat and, and score 670-odd runs. It's a, it's a sign of a really good side, especially the heart of it having been cut out. You know, the players that retired weren't just really good Australian yeah. players. They are, they are legends of the game. They are people that will be in world 11s for, you know, ad infinitum. Um, so, you know, just for them to, to then, for the, for the England side then to sort of dust themselves off and say, right, okay, we're probably going to draw this. You know, re- reality is we're not going to get them to bat again. We're not going to be able to post a score that's going to, you know, they're yeah. going to be able to chase within the time frame. Um, but then what happened? I just you you can't you can't believe it, really, can you? Um, you and I speak at length about the beauty of Test cricket and how you know a lot of people are drawn to the shorter form because you know the, the colour ball game is short, sharp. Get on the beers, good fun. It's over in in a day. Um, but for the purists, Paul Collingwood's innings, I. Aside from the guys at the tail end who we'll, we'll come on to in the end, uh, you know, towards the end of this bit, but Paul Collingwood batted for nearly six hours. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to do anything for six hours and actually perform at the highest level. I mean, I, we claim we we work eight hours a day, but <laughs> certainly not concentrating for all eight. Well, no, and, and Mitchell um, Johnson certainly not steaming or in your comfy chair yeah. while you're holding a cappuccino. So, yeah. But to give some Stop context, market's not hitting me at ninety miles an hour. <laughs> well, very much so, very much so. And I think to give some context, you know, England for this match is a bit of a summary. England won the toss, selected to bat, and what looked like a good deck, um, as Michael Vaughan always used to say. Uh, let's get into bat and put some uh, put some pressure on Australia with some runs, and it was a decent start, with the exception of Alistair Cook falling short. Um, caught in the gully with a magnificent catch from Mike Assey, if you remember the catch. Yeah, it was a yeah. And England's new hope, Ravi Bapara, who, remember, had come off the back of three centuries against the West Indies in the warm-up series, was, well, when I say new hope, I mean, there's, you know, there, there's mixed reviews, but it was a player who was in great form. Um, I yeah. think everyone was looking to him to be that real anchor and, and kind of stalwart, if you like, for almost an aggressive or attacking anchor, which is quite unusual yeah. for, for a number three. I mean, maybe he's not even an anchor at all. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just putting maybe, maybe a W. <laughs> but it was a good England side, and I think the Strauss, you know, following what happened with Kevin Peterson as captain and the five 0 drubbing we'd had in Australia, it looked like all doom and gloom for the next four years. We'd had the incident after the Ashes in St Lucia with Freddie uh, having a bit too much yeah. fun at sea and all the rest of it. And I think to come into the Ashes series, you know, there were really good hopes. It was a new venue in Cardiff. It was a fantastic new stadium. It was the middle of July, England Australia. It doesn't get any better. Now, coming back to the match, it was a really good start from England to come in and score 435. You know, new look sort of side against a decent Australian attack. Uh, I think, I suppose the big, the big weak link in Australia's team was, was the absence of Shane Warne. And yes, there's Glenn McGrath, but, you know, over the years, Mitchell Johnson would prove that he'd be uh, ultimately, you know, one of the best frontline seamers in world cricket, in all formats, not, not just best matches. Yeah. Um, and England got to a competitive score, 435. We thought, right, this is game on. And as you say, towards the end of day two, when Australia went in, I don't think any of us were expecting what happened next with Katic, Ponting, North and Haddon all going to three figures. And some, some efforts, keep England out there for the best part of two and a half, three days to eat up that time. Yeah. 
against a decent attack, let's not forget, I mentioned earlier, Flintoff Anderson, Broad, Swan, Panser. You'd take that attack. Oh, and Collingwood. Yeah. Let's not forget him. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'd take that attack and Frost to go out there and perform like that. Put on a seriously good show, but also grind away. You know, to go past 435 and go into the third innings of the match with a lead of, you know, over 240 or just around 240. It takes some doing. Yeah. But I think we've hinted on it. And what was to come next? Because England didn't have the greatest start. To our, you know, to our third innings, we were battling to save the game almost immediately. There was no way England could win yeah. the game. But there was, there was, there was no I mean, way England could draw the game either. And just reading... I think that was, that's the thing, though, about, about this, this sort of game. And, and, and so, historically, the, the frailty of, of English batting, which, which sometimes comes to the fore, especially in, in Ashes cricket... Um, that's the thing, isn't it? If, if you've just scored four hundred odd runs in in your first innings, and okay, yeah, I mean it's <laughs> you have just been tonked around the park for for, for three days almost. Really, it's as we're going to come to with Paul Collingwood. It's you get out there, and yeah, you're not going to win. You're just going to go out and have fun. You're just going to bat. But as always happens with with England, maybe being slightly unfair with with the bowling attack because. Although Hilfenhaus not effective in the second innings, um, he, he, you know, he, well, sorry, tell a lie, looking at the wrong column. He did pick up three wickets. Um, he almost like the forgotten man. Um, yeah. I don't know if you, you'll remember this, but he was essentially their equivalent of what Simon Jones did in 2005. He was moving that ball all over the, but we couldn't play him. Um, and he might not have been the one who was picking up the wickets, every, uh, you know, every innings. Certainly, you know he was he was no slouch to to open the bowling for them. Um, I I just think it, it's it's that frailty, isn't it? And you go, you look at the top order, and you know three of your top four don't don't make double figures. You're going to be in trouble, aren't you? Well, I think <laughs> off the back of the five 0 and that was the huge danger that as England supporters, we're thinking, oh, here we go again. It's the classic great build up to an Ashes series, particularly a home series where may not be expected to win but we'd certainly be expected to to have a good start let's get it off to a flyer it's a new ground it's it's all the rest of it new captain coach we've got a decent side um and i think it's all down to us but who would have thought that after that start looking at the card 13 for one cook 17 for two bapara 31 for three peterson and don't forget peterson had a a lot of criticism in that first innings despite being our top scorer with that sort of Sweet paddle shot, if you remember that shot. Yeah, it just scooped it, didn't it? It just kind of, well, you know, it's and he'll be someone that we come back to whenever we talk about England's big games. And you know, he divide, he really divides opinion. And you've you turn you you kind of turn my head a little bit on him. And you know, we'll talk about it again another time. But sometimes the thing you have to look at these players: if you're not playing your natural game, then you're not going to play at all. Sure. If you're trying to be something else. Just go out and do your thing. If, if you, if you, there are other games where he's done that and scored 150, and no one's batted an eyelid. Um, pardon the pun, but um, it's just the, it's just the way. Yeah, <laughs> they, they don't get any better. Um, I, I think you know you can't really get too hard into someone about that. I think it, then when when it creeps in is if you get out in a stupid way and then you don't you don't make double figures and, and you're meant to be the, the star of the team. That's when people start looking at it, and 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 rightly so. And Cook probably took a, a load of flack in that as well, not not really getting amongst the runs at all. 
Mm. Um, so I'm just looking at it's just mammoth that thing from Collingwood though, isn't it? I mean, imagine having that mental fortitude. Um, I suppose he was probably G'd along for getting an MBE for fielding for five <laughs> days in 2005, wasn't he? Or... <laughs> sense, sense a bit of jealousy there. So, are you, are you suggesting something that? Like, oh, I mean, I, there haven't been many easier ones, have there? <laughs> no, I'm not entirely sure. Well, no, if you're invited to the uh, to the palace, I think you very much take that invitation. Oh, you but definitely don't turn it down. Do, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, jokes aside, to set the scene, when when Paul Collingwood walked out at 31 for three with the, the danger man, the big fish, Kevin Peterson, having been dismissed, bowled by Hilton House for eight. I mean, who would have thought it was? It's it's not even. I mean, this is not even a boxer having his opponent against the canvas. This is this is pretty much being, sorry, against the ropes. This is pretty much being on the floor by this point. There's yeah. certainly one knee on the floor. And, um, mm. One of the great rear guards, and we talk about Test Match cricket being that opera, being that game of chess, being that story, that Shakespearean tragedy, as Simon Hughes would probably put it, ebbing and flowing over the course of four or five days and for the final day to come down to what it did, to, to come down to what it did, was just the most unbelievable advert for yeah. cricket, but one of the most Herculean performances by England batsmen in any test match, let alone an Ashes test match, where everything is on the line. Yeah. To give you some Definitely. stats, I mean, you mentioned six hours of batting. Paul Collingwood finished with 74 of 245 deliveries, having come in in the 10th over and left, you know, in the best part of, what, 90 overs gone. Yeah. And it was an amazing moment when, Peter Siddle, who toiled and toiled all day, and he'd had a good test match, but he toiled and toiled all day, finally removed Collingwood. I think every, the hearts of every England fan, which is something that we'll come to that mirrored uh, in 2019 with a certain ninth wicket. Who would have thought when you need a hero, as David Lloyd said, and out strolls none other than Monty Panesar, the England yeah. comedy clown who'd certainly with the bat and sometimes in the field, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. Well, we knew what was going to happen. He was probably going to go first ball. But with Jimmy Anderson at the other end, who would have thought what would have happened next? Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? You, you, I mean, Jimmy's no... He, he actually... Um, he doesn't hold the record. He Erroneously, a lot of people believe he holds the record for the most innings without a duck. He's very close. I think he's a very close second. I think it was 70. Something like 71, maybe? Um, and unless it's been broken and I haven't checked my stats correctly, A.B. de Villiers holds the record, which as someone who bats in the top order is pretty unbelievable. I think he went over over 100, 100 uh, tests without, without, or at least 100 matches, international matches, without going for a duck, which is pretty special. But Jimmy's a night watchman, so you'd expect him to stick around a bit, wouldn't you? At least be able to hold out for a few overs and what we're looking at, nearly 10 overs to, to save the day, wasn't it? No, more. sorry, more than that. It was about 13 or so. 13 or 14, and what an unbelievable... I mean, it was over an hour in the end, and I remember, yeah. you know, the Cardiff crowd, and for anyone, I hope, that remembers this game, that Cardiff crowd on day five, I mean, everybody. I spoke to one of my friends um, who lives just outside Cardiff who went, and I said, what was it like? And he said, I don't remember. He just had absolutely no idea what was going on. He went, I think, for the first three days of London, he couldn't really tell me what happened then. Um, and the <laughs> final day, and when we listen, and we will do shortly, to the final day crowd, you would not even think, because Test Cricket sometimes has that reputation of, you know, we mm. do our laundry and we can read the paper and we can have a little nap and 
do some crochet or whatever, and things would just yeah. sort of ebb and flow in the background. But you would not even uh, think you were at a cricket match. It was the most unbelievable atmosphere of any game of cricket you will ever likely to see, or any game of sport. Everybody, every single run, if you remember when Monty blocked it or Jimmy blocked it or it squeezed yeah. away for a run, um, was unbelievable cheering, unbelievable yeah. scenes from all of the crowd, every single delivery. And I think that is why, you know, that's one of the reasons I think the venue, the crowd, the individual yeah, performances that we've put definitely. in, that we've put it in at number 10 on our list um, for the greatest cricket matches um, in history. I oh, just the the only thing I would add to that. I mean, I, I I'm completely with you. Um, I think it is all those things, and and I think what made it was that I think people just forget how bad um, Monty Panesar was with the bat. I think he, not, I mean, he's at Test cricket. Let's so let let me caveat that <laughs> when when he played. Um, I, I only know this because he played he played for Cookfield. No, not Cookfield. He played for Eastbourne or something like that, didn't he? In the um, Sussex Premier, and he used to go in at number three and score at least 50 a week um so he's obviously not better than you or i uh you or me sorry um but i mean just who's the who's the um the kiwi that uh number 11 who um who's the he's the absolute joke i mean he's probably as bad as him isn't he um well chris martin is who you're thinking of chris martin that's who i'm thinking of yeah i mean he's probably as bad as chris martin not, not, not from coldplay i should add <laughs> Although he'd probably be a better number, number 11. Yeah, well, potentially. But I just think it's one of those things. And this is it's really when cricket fans and crowds really started getting involved and, and, and loosening up a bit, really getting behind the boys. And I just think what, what a way to, to kick off the top 10 for cricket. Massively so. And on that note, we'll leave you with the famous words of David Lloyd. As England closed out that famous game in Cardiff um, in 2009. I want to give him threepence. And they sneak through. They get through. Monty dives in for more parabies and it's a bye. Keep your eyes on everybody out there in the middle. Ricky Ponting stands. Umpires chat. The players are still out there. Handshakes. They've done it. They've waited out. They've realised it. Monty Palazzaro and Jimmy Anderson, 10 and 11. Of 69 deliveries, they've scored 19 runs. Jimmy Anderson, cool hand Luke, if you like. Monty Palazzar would have loved the situation. England has survived. Australia have given them everything. Outstanding Australia. Did they need Shane Warne in this game? RIP Shane Warne. But it's been an epic game of cricket. They go to Lords on Thursday. Amazing, amazing scenes from Cardiff. Now, sticking with the Australian theme, 
it's now time to move to the land down under as we move to Sydney for our first entry in the top 10 greatest rugby matches of all time. And Seb, what have we gone with here? Well, you know this list wouldn't be complete without the uh, most successful team of all time, which of course we all know is the All Blacks. And something that obviously every sports fan likes to see is the underdog doing well. So um, we've gone with um, Argentina's first ever victory uh, from, from November last year. Um, just what a test match. What a shock. Um, a, a performance that completely defied everything you'd expect from sport. Um, so Argentina, obviously due to COVID, hadn't played much rugby. Yeah. Um, I believe this was their first test in 13 months. Um, and let's look, everyone, everyone who's listening and everyone who knows about international sport knows that it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's, it's another, and it's another gear up. You can't just chuck the ball around the park for a little bit and then train really hard and hope that you do well against the All Blacks. Um, 30 tests they played previously against them. Um, and they drew, I believe that was the closest they ever got. There was a draw. Um, forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head when it was. Um, but just one hell of a performance. Um, and I think it's one of those one of those moments where you go, Argentina are, are quite a romantic rugby team, aren't they? They, they yeah. do have a lot of flair um, and they have produced some really, really great players. Um, so, you know, they're no... They're no dullards. They wouldn't, not what I would call Italy joining the Six Nations. Um, you know, they really are a, a tough test nation. Um, but for them to do this, just oh, fantastic for rugby. Um, and not, not just because the All Blacks lost, but just fantastic that a team like this can come into the Four Nations and produce results like this. Um, and loads of stuff that you can talk about that, that, that happened before that. So we're coming off the back of the World Cup. Um, New Zealand obviously didn't win that yep. but back to back World Cups before that um, after 2019 Steve Hansen resigned um, or retired shall we say I don't think he resigned he didn't really he, he chose to go so <laughs> I hate the word resign he kind of just decided that that, he, that was his time um you know, just a little thing for you. 93 test wins out of 107 Amazing. as coach. Uh, just, just incredible. It just shows the standard um, of, of that team. Um, and notable retirements of, of their talisman at number eight, Kieran Reid, captain. Um, and then money Bill Williams when, when he, whenever <laughs> he decided to play whatever, whatever sport he turned his hand to, he was very good at. So, you know, he, he obviously was missed. Um, but largely, a, a side that you would expect to um, to perform really well, um, and and not really. I think there's a difference between um, the All Blacks and and every other nation is that you really earn your shirt. I'm not saying that you don't earn your shirt for the other sides, but if you are good enough to be an All Black, you'll be an All Black for a number of tests. You won't just play one or two. There are very few that have a handful of caps. Yeah. Um, and there are normally three or four people knocking on the door of that guy who's got 20, 30, 40 caps going, are you still playing well enough to keep that shirt? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why they've been so good. Um, I don't know why we can't replicate it 
in in the northern hemisphere. Um, certainly not. I, I certainly still it, it completely baffles me that England can't do it with the resources they have in comparison to everyone else in the world. But that, that's for another day. But moving it, I mean, interested to know moving it back to to this particular fiction. Now, Argentina are obviously one of the. I think it's an injustice to call them one of the up and coming nations. But for most people's money, I'd like to think that they are the number one, shall we say, up and coming side. And certainly, you know, where Italy were introduced to make it the Six Nations and everyone, you know, for for lots of purposes, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, Italy became the, the new team on the block that were actually going to go on and, and do great things in the future. I think it's fair to say that Argentina, you know, to, to move into the Tri or what was the Tri Nations is, is such an achievement in itself. But I think, yeah. Yeah. you know, as, as part of me thinks, right, this could have been a shock. But, you know, this is a shock victory. I don't think it's the first time we're going to see this or first and only time we're going to see this type of result from Argentina and, and probably, you know, perhaps to come in years uh, within World Cups and, and the like. And, and what would you say? I mean, is, is that a fair statement in terms of where yeah, Argentina it's... are compared, say, to an Italy or to a, uh, a Romania or Canada or some of the other teams that we've seen sort of come through in the last 10, 15 years in world tournaments and so on? Oh, definitely. Um, I'm pretty sure they've come third in a World Cup in recent times. Um, you know, they're no, they are they are on the map. They're not a, a developing nation in terms of rugby. They really are. Um, I think it's just that, again, why people draw... I mean, it's an easy comparison to draw to Italy because obviously Italy piggybacked into the Five Nations um, because they were beating everyone else that they played comfortably. And I think that's kind of what was happening with Argentina. Mm. Um, you know, you have Uruguay. Um, help me. <laughs> uh, other teams in other other teams in, in South America, who they they would win the the championship every year. Um, and I I just think when when it does come to to the World Cup, you know they they've done pretty well. Um, I'm just trying to uh, to find find out here. What their um, what their record is, um, but coming into I this, a, coming into this. Sorry, I tell a lie. They've actually performed really poorly, apart from two thousand and seven. <laughs> I've made it up. Well, <laughs> Ron, if if they're still listening, if they're still listening, people will get used to that from you, I'm sure. But oh, just yeah. coming coming back into this particular match again, and I know I maybe sold you down the line with that particular question, but. Um, you know, this is a game, as you say, 13 months since Argentina's last last match. I think it was something like 440 days since that team had yeah. previously taken the field together. You're then going to Sydney to play in the Tri-Nations against, you know, yes, they hadn't won the, the previous um, the previous World Cup, but they're always going to be there and thereabouts. You know, yeah. pound yeah. pound, it's one of the greatest sports teams in any sport of all time. Um, and looking at the form guide coming in, you know, Argentina hadn't won. I mean, they... They'd come in off the back of, you know, a draw with Australia, um, a loss to New Zealand prior to that. Um, I think they'd, they'd had a no result because of COVID and all the rest of it with their Northern yep. Hemisphere tours and all the rest being cancelled. And I think, um, you know, New Zealand were, had already lost the game in 2020 anyway. Mm. But I think what sort of message is that sending from Argentina with this particular game? And, and some of the performances, because I noticed that all 25 points were scored by by Nicolas Sanchez. Just talk us through a little bit more about his performance in that game. It's one of those pivotal roles, isn't it? Um, if your 10 plays well, generally, you'll play well. Um, but it's very simplistic. That's what we can look at. He's obviously got all the points on the board. Um, he's only been given the opportunity to get 
a lot of those points because his forwards have dominated um, and they've they've won the ball in the right positions. You know, yep. just you know, a couple of quick stats: fourteen turnovers against the All Blacks. It's just phenomenal. Fourteen turnovers. Um, and I just think it's it, it, how you win games is you you try not to give away penalties in the wrong places, and I think. That's that's what happened in this game. They got they won crucial turnovers in, in the right areas of the park, and they were penalised heavily in that game. So you know it's not it's not fair to say that, that the All Blacks didn't have an opportunity to get into the game. Um, they just didn't give them away in in kickable, kickable places. Um, you know the All Blacks gave away thirteen penalties to Argentina sixteen, and you know came off ten points worse for wear, um, yeah. which doesn't happen often. Um, but I, I'm just looking at it. I think the only the only really big thing you can say is how well prepared they must have been for this. Because to not have played any rugby and to capitalise on on some momentum, because like, like I alluded to before with um, Steve Hansen's stats as coach, yeah, they don't, they don't lose very often. No. So when they do, and you can piggyback onto that, um, you know they. They've only lost back to but this is a back to back loss for them. They've only lo- they've only lost back to back games six times in twenty one years, and not many more times throughout the rest of their history. I just couldn't be bothered to go any any further back <laughs> than that. But thank you. There, there aren't a lot of Northern Hemisphere teams that can say that they've only lost back to back six times in twenty years. Mm. Um, you know, and given the freak, they, they don't play any less Test matches than we do because they play home and away for. Um, for the Tri Nations, so they play the same amount of tests. Um, just phenomenal. For I think it's one of those games. Sometimes it's your day, sometimes it's not. I don't know if potentially Argentina were helped by the fact that it was a neutral stadium um, and it wasn't it wasn't played in um, in New Zealand because, as you know, as I told you two weeks later, the reverse fixture they were. Soundly beaten, thirty-eight um, nil by New Zealand. Just as a little bit of a um, yeah, thanks for trying. Um, <laughs> uh, so you know, it's, um, they 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 don't like to be beaten at all. They do not like they do not like to very yes. much so. But let's just on that note, let's pick up on one of the key bits of action with seventy-four minutes on the clock. Argentina win yet another penalty, and Nicolas Sanchez is due to take his latest free kick. And a penalty by the looks. The arm is out from Angus Gardner. Penalty advantage. These are huge moments. They win the penalty. The closest they've ever been to winning a game against the All Blacks was way back in 1985, a draw. They've never beaten the All Blacks Argentina. Nicolas Sanchez. Hits it well. Hits it really well. The flags go up. What a kick. What a kick. Talk about adrenaline. Finding that extra five metres. He found it. Unbelievable kick from Nicolas Sanchez. And what a game he has had. So there we have Nicolas Sanchez with another incredibly tough penalty that he managed to convert. And listening to the crowd in the background there, Seb, you mentioned 
in terms of the venue, yes, it was Sydney. It was a neutral venue. But Argentina had a lot of fans there. And I've seen some amazing videos of them within the stadium concourse after the game. You wouldn't even know. Now, this could be quite controversial. You wouldn't even know you were at a rugby union game because you would have thought that Argentina were playing the beautiful game at home. But just talk us through the atmosphere and some of that Argentinian support that day as well. And, uh, and hence even ho- giving home why we've picked it in our top 10. Uh, just sorry, just still soaking in what you've just said there about <laughs> um, fa- fans of rugby union. You, you, you're, lucky, you're lucky that we're in lockdown because um, <laughs> if we we're in the same room. <laughs> but uh, no, they, um, no, you're right to say that. But yeah, Latin American, aren't they? They they absolutely love their sport and especially football and rugby. And if they, they they've always had good fans. They've always had guys that like to go have, have a few beers and, and just enjoy themselves and, and not be, yeah, not be too silly. Um, yeah. And, and this was just, I think sometimes as well, if you go to a neutral ground, um, so I went to the Australia v Wales match at Twickenham when, um, when England hosted the world cup in, in, in 2015. And it's one of the best games of rugby I've been to see because there were so many neutrals there as well as the, the diehard Aussie and, and yeah. Wales fans that everyone just had a good time and I think that's kind of, that's probably the beauty of this fixture being played in, in Sydney is that there are probably quite a few Aussies who are there going I'm going to have a good time because the All Blacks have lost um, you know maybe some that don't care that much either but I'm pretty sure they'll be that partisan so <laughs> just a good excuse for people to get really into each other and, and, and have a good time and as you know, as you know, we we won't dwell too much on this because I really, really hate the the lazy comparisons between football and rugby fans. But um, as, as you know, they'll be allowed to to drink through the, through the game, and, and they're probably a bit excited, um, and they're they're exuberant people anyway. So, bit bit of heat, bit of beer, they're prob- probably enjoying themselves, <laughs> just like the famous Victorian crowd in uh, oh. May thirteen. But interestingly, <laughs> I actually. You know, on a bit of a, a side note, and we mentioned that we better get some quirk in. So I'm going to offer some quirk in the form of um, a fantastic film called The Motorcycle Diaries, which is about the early years of, of Che Guevara. Um, and, and many people, I'm sure, will know this, but many people, I'm sure, don't know this. Obviously, a man um, so associated with a country he wasn't actually originally from, um, in the sense that Che, or I can't even remember his real name, but he was born in Argentina and supposedly was an excellent rugby player, um, but also a big big Argentina rugby fan and the, the history of the game in Argentina is, is there for everyone to see and I think mm. the game has been taken on you know traditionally yes the, the home nations if you like have been have been very strong and it's it's spread to the New Zealand's the Australia's the South Africa's lots of the Pacific yeah. Isles as well not to forget but mm. Argentina are that real hidden gem and I think you're right the passion that their fans showed um, on that mm. day beating New Zealand but I, I don't think as I said earlier I don't think it's going to be the first time we see this kind of result from them do you think, as a, as a final question, just to round off, really, the, the rugby section, in our lifetime, could they could they lift the World Cup? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, they've, they've, they're a very, very talented side. And now they're part of the Four Nations. They're playing more regular, um, top-quality test rugby. I think that's... And that's what you need. And that's what, what's, what's going to put you there. And then, yeah, just... One last thing on Argentina, as, as a side note, um, you, you may or may not know this, but uh, Welsh is one of the four top four recognised languages of Argentina. So that's probably where they get their uh, love and, and um, flair in rugby. 
from from us boys with the feathers. So um, <laughs> they, they they can be my second team from down under. <laughs> yeah, proper proper straw clutching going on here. Sorry about this, listener. <laughs> but I think over the next few weeks, if you do decide to keep listening, um, if anyone is still listening to this one. Bear with it because uh, you'll probably get used to the fact that Seb supports just about every team on the planet, provided they manage to beat the uh, beat the Goliaths of this world. But uh, what an amazing fixture. And to close out, let's leave you with the final few moments of a very, very special test match. Back on side, Feeling an inevitability here for the All Blacks. Clark, Clark stepping and Caleb Clark will score for the All Blacks. But it won't be enough. He misses. A boil over felt in Buenos Aires. Los Pumas, muy bueno. They win against the All Blacks. Oh, wow. Piece of history. We've witnessed history here today. Fantastic victory there for the Pumas. And very interesting pronunciation of inevitability, I might add. Now, Australia, as much as it's played host to great rugby games, has also played host to some great cricket games over the years. None more so than England's 1986-7 Ashes victory in Melbourne. A feat that wouldn't be repeated for 24 years. When Mike Gatting's side had secured the famous urn, the party was well underway. And resident DJ that night was none other than Sir Elton John. For our final pick of the week and our football entry, I think it's safe to say that the music legend would have approved of this one. Still with one substitution in the band. But... Second there will be Leicester who will finish the stronger. Knockout, he's got beyond Briggs, still going. Knockout goes to ground as Cassetti leads on him. Penalty! That is a massive decision! Now, I think it's fair to say in football, one thing that football can offer us and will always offer us when, when fans are in the ground, that is, is limbs. And we often talk about scenes or limbs or unbelievable scenes within football matches. But there can be very, very few moments or matches in the history of it that produced limbs like this. We are, of course, referring to Watford against Leicester, 2013 Championship Playoff semi-final, second leg at Vicarage Road. Watford, of course, coming off the back of a 1-0 away loss. Um, earlier in the season, they'd finished third in the table, two points of automatic promotion between uh, behind sorry, Cardiff and Hull. And having gone into the game with a 1-0 deficit, Matej Vidra had equalised early on for Watford before David Nugent restored Leicester's aggregate lead. After Vidra had put the teams back on terms, it came to the 95th, 96th minute when Anthony Knockhart, who we'll come to a bit later on, of course, won a contentious penalty by many accounts. And the rest, as they say, Seb, is more than history. Unbelievable. Just... Uh, correct. Just I, I, I don't know what, what else you say about this. It's not often you go into a top ten and you're picking a game that doesn't decide, decide a cup. It doesn't decide a league. It's it's just it's a knockout fixture. It's um, 
it, it just amazing. Um, and, and so much happened in such a small period of time. Not just what happened beforehand, because, like, you know, you, you go into a match 1-0 down at home, you think, actually, yeah, I've got a really good chance. But actually, with the away goals rule, really, you want to score away or at least be nil all and then know that you've just got to win the game. You don't want to be behind and then know that if they score, you have to score more than one. Mm. So just the drama, um, just unbelievable. Like, the championship, the championship as a whole is a fantastic league. And I think I speak on behalf of, you know, hopefully most football supporters that recognise the fact that the way I've often put it is the only time, you know, the only important time to look at the table is on the last day of the season. Anyone can beat anyone on their given day, but particularly when you get down to the playoffs with everything at stake, it's a massive day out, not just for the club with promotion to the Premier League or a chance to get promotion to the Premier League at stake, but a huge day out for your supporters going to Wembley, huge day out in the capital, big cup final, having followed League One and League Two playoff finals as well, a big sort of bumper bank holiday um, weekend of, of cup final football effectively. Yeah, and you're, you're so right though. You're so right. Sorry to, to cut across you. No one, no one gets promoted by chance. So don't think that just because you've won the playoff final, you snuck in because you haven't. You've still got to go and win a two-leg semi-final and, and play. You've got to play three more games on top of the 40, how many is it for the for championship? 46. Um, 46, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say 44. <laughs> it's lucky I don't work in finance with maths like that. Um, yeah, or, or, or you're a bingo caller. Yeah. <laughs> two thanks. <laughs> 22. <laughs> choo, choo, choo. <laughs> This is probably but, the point people are going. What on earth are they? What's going on? Yeah, we're not talking about cricket now. Um, I just the thing that got me when when I looked at this game because obviously most people who who follow football, certainly Premiership football, will know the Leicester story. They'll know what happened, um, but they might not remember this this particular incident. Um, and you, and you look at the side they've put out. You know they're all yeah. There's a lot of players there that came up and won the league with the won the won the Premier League with them in that mm. team. Um, the big glaring name for me, um, you're probably going to think I'm going to say Harry Kane um, <laughs> or, or Jamie Vardy, but actually I'm going to say um, Paul Koncheski because interesting. Yeah, dreadful. I mean that's probably why they didn't win. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's there you go. Yeah, sorry about that. That's that's my. Um, yeah, that's my tough crowd, that one. And is this um, is this something to do with West Ham or is this just some sort of uh, other story you'd like to, to enlighten us with? Uh, just just generally, um, probably West Ham, just someone I've never rated, just kind of, you know, I look, we'll get into Liverpool because we'll talk about one of their most famous days. Um, but, you know, not I'm not one of these bandwagon people that goes, oh God, I wish I had them on the league and I hate Liverpool, but... I generally, I genuinely said at, at, at the point that the reason why Liverpool aren't title con, contest, contenders is because they've got Koncheski in their side and he's not good enough to win the Premier League. Um, so <laughs> that's really where it started, if I'm honest. Well, cutting edge analysis as always for a marvellous effort. That <laughs> you can be sure of that. But I mean, I just also, I mean, knockout. We know complete legend. Um, not for this team that plays in blue and white, <laughs> but um, I just imagine putting yourself in in that position where all you've got to do is knock knock that ball in, and then you're through. 
Well, picking you up on picking you up on your point, I mean, looking at the Leicester side and, and anyone who, who remembers the game or remembers the season, I mean, as you say, you know, two, three years later, they were part of probably modern football's or domestic modern football's most famous story in many respects in this country. Yeah. Um, or in the English League alone. But, you know, looking at the list, Casper Schmeichel, Wes Morgan, Michael Keane, Andy King, well, give or take, Anthony Nottingham, <laughs> you know, David Nugent, there's a lot of experience there, a lot of experience mm-hmm. at that level. Plenty of goals. He got himself on the sheet that day. Chris Wood, another Albion former player. And then you look at the bench, you know, the up and coming Harry Kane. I mean, still a bit of an unknown entity at the time, but yeah. got the likes of Drinkwater, Jamie Vardy, Luke Moore as well. So it's a decent Leicester side. And I think, the champ, as you say, off the back of 46 matches to come in, and then you've got your two matches just to get to the Wembley final to then take on whoever it is to, to get up to the the promised land, as they say. Yeah, we, we, we won't talk about what happened in the final this year. <laughs> it's, uh, one of the most, that, that'll probably be in one of the top 10 most disgraceful moments in football history. Well, I've, got, it, a bumper, I've got a bumper quiz question for the uh, for anyone that's made it this far in the podcast. And, you know, we, we thank you for that. I've got a bumper question in relation to that or somebody in that particular match. But let's, um, taking it back to Watford, you know, all the pressure that comes with, you know, players that are probably not used to playing a lot of the time in situations like this. You know, I don't think it had been certainly a while since um, since either side had been, you know, been far in the FA Cup. Watford had had a, a playoff final, I think, 2006 um, in Cardiff against Leeds. But again, mm. I mean, it's it's a different era. You know, we're looking at a yeah. whole new side. We're looking at a new sort of scope. I'm not, I can't quite remember if that was even a in well, what might have been Division One. I think it was the Championship then, but it may well have been the League One playoff final in, in 2006. And an amazing atmosphere. And we'll come to more on the Millennium Stadium as a whole, I'm sure, in future. But Oh, yeah. Anthony Knockhart stepping up to take that penalty, which he'd won. And lots of people, you know, for their money, weren't convinced that was actually a penalty. Now, it was a decent... I thought it was, it was an OK hit. And, and I think what was more impressive, actually, than the save for the original one was the save for the rebound. Because for those that don't know, this penalty was saved. And a goalkeeper who I'm sure you've got plenty of time for, Seb, who you've got plenty of time for, Seb, would be um, responsible for one of the best reaction saves I think we've seen in any pressure moment in any game of football. It's the kind of one if Victor Valdez does it for Barcelona in 2010 in the Champions League final, we talk about that for years. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And And... I mean, I, I don't want to praise him too much. At least he was wearing um, <laughs> a different coloured shirt. To be fair, from his time playing in that that horrible kit, which I won't mention, he's probably used he's probably used to saving the odd ones because they they'd gone considerably downhill by then. I thought I'd think, and they even if, unless my memory has served me incorrectly. Um, <laughs> but I think I think this is this is the point at which you know a keeper. I, he obviously spent a number of years at Arsenal, I will have to say that name, and then ended up going on to Watford. And generally what people tend to think is um, once they leave that big club, they that's it, they finished. But actually, you, you just got to look at the quality of, of, of someone. Just un- unbelievable. There's not much more you can say about it. The reactions and that are just so good. And you're right, you are right. It's not just a penalty save because... Let's be honest. The penalty save is not quite a fifty-fifty. There will there will be whatever mathematical equation people work out, but yeah. you're essentially guessing which way they're going. Mm. But then to get yourself back up and save a rebound if you haven't palmed it 
I, I, you know, across the 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 um, the, the, the Ingol area, I just beggars belief. Um, and I, I think it goes with something that we will talk about a little bit, probably more when it comes to um, the latest news. Sometimes it's just not your day, and I think Leicester can just think, yeah, that that just wasn't our day. Very much so, and I think you know, with a fixture like this, with so much on the line, it it says a lot about championship football. And I think what football stands for in terms of, you know, giving back to the community, the absolute, and I talked about the scenes that we saw within this match. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for a game, and this wasn't a game that sort of didn't go anywhere. Lots of people always talk about matches that, you know, it was nil-nil for 85 minutes and then yeah. you know, there was a late goal and it was, it was really dramatic. I mean, this was a game that really went both ways um, within the second leg of, of this particular tie anyway. Mm. And But this is a thing for football though, isn't it? This is, there are, there are not many sports out there uh, which are decided by a point. Mm. Um, generally, there are more variables than that. And that's what makes football in its own right so special that in, in one minute, you can go from having the opportunity to absolutely seal the game to then flicking it around and it being a, a, a most unlikely victory. Yeah. Because let's be honest, even if he's missed it and the ball hasn't gone down the other end, they go through on away goals. Mm. So they they were going to go through even without scoring the penalty. But for it to, to then miss two shots at the goal and then it go down the other end and, and, and Troy Deeney knock it in, just, you know, what, what an end. And the one thing um, across, I think particularly with team sports where... Yes, it's all about the collective and the group and everything that goes into that. But when it comes to it, team sports and something I think that football, cricket and rugby all share is the individual in the pressure moment. Who's going to put their hand up? Who's going to stand out? And we talk about talismans for different teams. You know, We talk about the Ricky Pontings from the, from the game cricket we've spoken about or <laughs> even with the bat, the Jimmy Andersons in that particular game. We talk about yeah. the Kieran Reeves with the career that he had with the New Zealand. Sanchez stepping up to the mark in such a crunch game for Argentina. And in this game, a man that has had so much pressure on him from the moment that I suppose the footballing world in this country or, or anywhere realised that Troy Deeney was that man for Watford in the same yeah. strikers are, you know, their talismans for their clubs. It's not, it's never, you know, it's never a keeper. It's never a defender or generally speaking, a midfielder. In some respects, yes, the Gerrards and the Zidans and so on of this world will always be the talismans. In, but but it's an unfair comparison. But with Troy Deeney, and, and for, for Watford to keep their cool and to take the ball up the other end, Almunia just kept his cool, rolled it out, for them to send it up the other end with Abdi, pinging it across, Jonathan Hogg, now one of the most underrated, I think, teeing up headers we will ever see in that pressure yeah. to execute that. Yeah, Deeney yeah, had yeah. covered a good amount. Deeney had covered 70, 60 yards to get across to that. Um, edge of the box and I think what came next was was <laughs> I mean you couldn't believe what was I remember with that particular game being um, on I think I don't think I was actually watching that particular game live I think I was watching Soccer Saturday or whatever equivalent it was and seeing <laughs> you know smoke bombs going off in the background and the presenter he was just lost for words he just didn't know what yeah, to yeah. and I think that leaves us with a really good opportunity to enjoy the final few moments of this unbelievable fixture as called by the ever-impressive Bill Leslie.
Well, it's a season-defining call, nothing short of that. If Knockout, who won it, scores it, Leicester City go to Wembley, and it's the end for Watford. Knockout takes, Almunia saves, Knockout follows in, Almunia saves again! Absolutely astonishing, now here come Watford. Forestieri. Here's Hogg! Dini! Do not scratch your eyes! You are really seeing the most extraordinary finish here. It almost mirrors the final day. An unbelievable finish, I think it's fair to say. Now, Seb, coming to the end of the show, I think it's been a really interesting conversation around some of football, cricket and rugby's greatest games. Um, and just to look to the week ahead, I think it'd be great to hear a little bit about what's going on. I think within the football, um, you know, big week in the Premier League, we're looking at the likes of Manchester United playing Southampton, Burnley against Manchester City, Fulham are at home to Leicester. Um, the big one is Liverpool, of course, against Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, and another slightly big one on Thursday um, with Spurs Chelsea. How do you see those going? Okay. Um, I. I... Obviously, the big one we, we want to know about is Liverpool, Brighton, both teams in good form. Um, I think Liverpool will probably get the points. Um, Man United, again, looking to kind of bounce back. They've been a bit drab, even though they've had a good run of form. Um, City, the team to beat, aren't they? I, I can't see any upsets there. I think they're probably going to go away at a canter now, it looks like. Um, and And we'll just see. Spurs, Chelsea, you know, Chelsea also not having a good run of form. Um, obviously not as bad as us, but it's a good opportunity for us to, well, at least we'll have had a, a break. I think we're probably the, you know, no, world's smallest violin playing for us. I think we get the shortest break of any uh, any top flight club between matches, but we've um, we've got four days between this one. So hopefully the players can get some sleep and play some bloody football. <laughs> Well, speaking of four days, we're four days away from what is a massive series um, about to start in India. England, of course, after the victory in Sri Lanka, a fantastic performance from um, pretty much everyone within the squad um, in Sri Lanka and India off the back of one of the most unbelievable victories uh, in sporting history. And, and some people are playing it down. I know Sinal Gavaskar said, you know, let's not get carried away. But I think if fans were at all of those games, I think we'd be considering that to be one of the great series, yeah. the top 10 of all time. Virat Kohli obviously returns for India um, and just a small deal of Stokes Archer um, back for England as well as hopefully Ollie Pope um, and Rory Burns to open the batting. So um, lots to play for, I think, with the build-up to Australia less than 10 months away as well. How do you see that one going, Seb? I, again, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a real marker for both teams. Um, I, I'm not I'm not going to take anything away from, from India winning there, but you, you can't you know you can't rule out the the effect that a home crowd has um but by the by they're playing good cricket and Virat Kohli obviously one of the superstars of the game one of the best to ever play um let's just see how we how we deal with the heat out there and and how well we could bowl against them um i think we we showed some pretty good form against uh, against spin um in the Sri Lankan 
series. So let's hope we can take that into it. Joe Joe Root, obviously, some some B scores there, which is really, really yeah. encouraging. I think it's going to be great. It's a, it, again, one for the purists. Really looking forward to that one. Fantastic. And rugby-wise, the big one, obviously, starting next uh, next week, or, or this week, rather, is, is the Six Nations. Just quickly, bookmakers are going with England as favourites at 2-1, France 5-1. Yeah. Ireland 12 to 1 and Wales 50 to 1 at the moment. And we don't need to mention Scotland and, and Italy so far. But how do you see that one going, Seb? What are your thoughts oh. for, the, for the series? Well, it's funny you say you don't need to mention Scotland, even though they finished ahead of Wales. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, listen, bookmakers, they're, they're always, they're always going to make England favourites. And they, they, they pretty much do every year. Um, and England will do well. Uh, France will do well. Let, let's let's see how this pans out. Um, it's going to be exciting. Um, I just I think if France can can do what they did last year and they can bring some of that form with them, then they'll probably be the team to watch because on their day they are just breathtaking the, the quality of rugby. But it'll be again between England and France. I can't see anyone else troubling them. Um, the, the state of club rugby um, for for the Celtic nations is is, is especially Wales not not great. Um, so yeah, I think those those two, and, it, and in our house, let's just bloody hope Wales win. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how the first weekend goes. Really looking forward to that series, and what a weekend we've got ahead of us uh, across all three games. Um, I promised Cots Quiz and Cots Quiz of the Week this week. We mentioned the playoff final that we weren't to mention, and the prize at stake here is an unnamed bag of jalapeno pretzels. You will, of course. Pay for postage, but the bag will be free. If you can answer this question, who is the only English footballer to ever win the European Golden Boot? Who is the only English footballer to ever win the European Golden Boot? Please send your answers in, if you can be bothered, to marvelouseffort at hotmail.com or find us on Instagram as well at marvelouseffortpod. Thanks ever so much for joining us for our debut episode. Uh, we hope it's been a good trawl down memory lane for some sporting memories for you all. This is Marvellous Effort, that's... I've been on Cocotte. That is Seb Private Broster. See ya. And we'll see you very, very soon.